Welcome to the Minnesotan Podcast. Today we have a great Minnesotan on our show today, Wiz Wyatt, a former neighbor of mine, also my youth hockey coach and a mentor of mine, someone who I followed his lead in many different ways in my life. Uh, we also named an award after him for the best multi-sport leader hockey player in the state of Minnesota. His name for him, Wiz Wyatt, will join us today. Wiz and I will talk about growing up in Kenwood where we both grew up as well as his trek to Harvard uh, has treks all over the world back to coaching uh, hockey and everything in between should be a, a fantastic show I'm really looking forward to it uh, another thing I'm looking forward to is making my way up to the Minnesotan this week to check out their store again and pick up some great Christmas present you should do the same thing what can I say it's one of a kind first class store if you want to see some great Minnesota history great great vintage clothing classy stuff really nice uh, apparel go check out the minnesotan if you can't make it to white bear lake go online to the minnesotan.com you can use the yhh as your code and you get 15 percent off either in store or online hope you really check those guys out to support uh, the minnesotan and support this programming looking forward to a great show with wiz wyatt Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good morning, Wiz. How are you doing today? Tony, just great. So pleased to be with you this morning. Thanks. Well, we spent some time together pre-show, and I probably learned more in these 30 minutes than I knew about you my whole life. It was fun to dig in and hear about some of the places you've been in the world and places that uh, people you've met, and hopefully we can uh, share some of that as we go through the next hour. Well, Tony, thanks. Very grateful for, uh, to date, very lucky, uh, and uh Truly a wonderful life in many respects, and, and particularly with my family. So very nice to be here and, and look forward to our conversation. All right. So we got to start off. You, you brought up family first. Let's get that one right out of the way. Um, you have uh, sisters and a brother, um, but you were not born Wiz. It's not like you came out of the womb and we named him Wiz. How did you get the name? You went from Oswald Wyatt to uh, Wiz Wyatt. How did it all come about? Well, and Tony, I, I tell you what, if I perhaps had had a, a choice at that time or involved in the decision process, it may not have been Wiz. But nevertheless, it is what it is. But Why? I, Why? You don't like the name? Well, and, and, and listen, now, Mr. Smarty Pants, you're a smart guy. <laughs> so what happens to a second grader riding oh. the bus on his way to school with Wiz? <laughs> I forgot yeah, about you, that. Well, yeah. my last name's Zozel. I was Bozo the Clown all the way till oh, till so tenth grade. I, so I follow right. exactly where you're going with this. I was and I was dizzy wizzy through my freshman year at Harvard. So <laughs> I forgot about that. But to me, as a young kid, you were Wizzy Wyatt and Wiz Wyatt. I'm like, I thought that was the coolest sounding name ever. And I think I think people think it's a great name today. Well, it, it, in it, it is, and I'm grateful and it is what it is. And, and, uh, the, my dad was, and it's funny, Wizzy Wyatt, Sid Hartman coined that in a couple of columns. It was Wizzy Wyatt, but 
uh, as a kid, and I was just literally a couple months old, coming out, Oswald III, my dad was so pleased to have a son. Uh, his name was Oswald as well. Oswald Sylvanus Wyatt III. That sounds like like uh, Thurston Howell III, doesn't it? Well, it sounds truly nobility, I wish. <laughs> uh, but there was, I assure you, there's nothing to back it up other than quick feet. Right. But uh, with, with Pop, he went by Oz. And uh, so as a friend of ours said, well, you can't call him that. And he's the Wizard of Oz. So that's what stuck. And I've been whiz ever since. Okay. And you have two or three older sisters? Two older sisters and a younger okay. brother, Andy, who also, are, actually all my uh, siblings went through West High School. Yeah. Now you're, you have West. a sister named like Khaki too, right? Yeah. How so did she Khaki, get that name? Well, Catherine, and it was shortened <laughs> to Khaki, however. All right. So that's what she's been in. And again, at age 70 plus now, that's that's her name. And then what's the other? Is it Liz, the other sister? El- Elizabeth, and she goes by Libby. Libby. See? Khaki, Libby, Wizzy, and Andy. What a, It's the all-American family, isn't it? <laughs> well, it really we was. had our moment. Yes, I know, but I just remember it was there was prestige next to that Wyatt name when we were growing wow. up in the neighborhood anyway. Well, thanks, Tony. Um, so let's talk about the neighbors. We got all your, your your siblings out on the on the table there. We got your yep. dad, your mom, who's still alive, ninety six years old. Oh, bless her heart, ninety six and a half, and and his, uh, she's not, and and I wouldn't call it dementia, but her memory is is goes in and out. I guess is the best way to say it. But remarkably healthy. Uh, she's not mobile. But in a wheelchair, but gets around pretty well, and and again, very strong of of frankly of will, mind and will, but particularly will. And uh, I see her often. Unfortunately, with the COVID, as you might know, it's been very very difficult. Uh, yeah. One for us to see her in a care facility, but two, very very tough on those the residents of the facilities. And uh, goodness, without that activity, um, yeah. and they're somewhat segregated from other residents to assure. Um, a, a sense, not just a sense of wellness, but the best possible means to provide wellness. And so we'll just, we'll hope for the best. Uh, but she's a wonderful person, was a great mom and has lived uh, again, just a, a really a, a wonderful life. So uh, I, I don't want to, I want to touch on something, give you my take on your mom. So, and I'm, I don't want to make this about the Wiz Wide Award, but the first time we ever did it, we gave it out sure. at the end of the Squirtacular, a wonderful hockey game. And this kid from Warroad, Minnesota, Grant Slukinski, who's now a, was a Mr. Hockey finalist. And you noticed it too, by the way. I love that you sent me a text on that. Yep. So we, we hand the award to the kid. He's a good kid. And um, we hand the award to the kid, first time ever, and we get ex-players to come, and we get your your kids to come, and your wife to come, and your mom to come. And literally, the thing, my big takeaway from that whole ordeal that day was the fact that I met your mom. And she, yeah. I talked to her afterwards. Now, I just finished running a tournament, a whole, you know, the whole deal. And that was one of my greatest memories is a chance to meet your mom. Here she is probably in her 80s at the time. She's got her perfectly, you know, her hair was perfect. Her lipstick was on. I mean, the full class. I mean, 100% all class. And she just carried on the most wonderful conversation. She was so proud of you and your family being there. It was just, it was a very high water mark for her. I could just see that her being there and seeing this full rink, seeing her son out on the ice. 
it was a neat moment for me. Do you recall that day very well? Oh, sure. Gosh, Tony, and bless your heart for, for bringing that up and speaking to it in such a way. Uh, well, that was mom. And, and uh, I will say, and I'll be a bit bold in this generalization, all moms in terms of the love of their kids and the care. And, and no matter what age, which you find, and I see it uh, in my wife, Jane, to, to our adult children now, and with our recent addition of a new grandchild, they're still a mom. And as hard-nosed as my wife is, as a former bond manager, et cetera, they're still the mom. And that was true in my case, or is true. She's still a mom. She's a wonderful mother and uh, cared for herself. As, uh, and she was a grad of the U, still a gopher through and through. Love it. And uh, a major in home economics. And so was not only a wonderful homemaker, but really very talented person in many areas. And just... For no other reason, she said that's how life should be lived. And uh, so she truly one that gave back to her family and many others. So still uh, an, an idol of mine in many ways. I My takeaway was I it was like uh, I had met my mother. I mean, I, I, my no. mom was still, I was like, wow, his mom is just like my mom, you know, life of the party and, and just just an awesome, awesome lady. It was That was one of my takeaways from that day. I'm like, oh, on top of all that stuff, I met Wiz's mom and she was the life of the party and just such a yeah. great lady. So, so wow. let's talk about growing up in Kenwood um you went to Kenwood school I'm guessing through se- sixth seventh grade all the way through the same school all the way yeah kindergarten through sixth grade at that time I went there for a year I think we were schools were opening and closing all around the late 70s and 80s so we were moved all over the place but I just thought my I look back at that schoolhouse with that Kenwood and it was just Beautiful. I mean, the, the architecture for the building was amazing. Uh, the the floors were hardwood. The teachers were old school. We're talking with a ruler. You know, it was just like it was the it was the consummate schoolhouse. They had the great playground. They had the park across the street. Um, I just remember so many fond memories of Kenwood School. I only went there for a year, but what are your takeaways of of Kenwood? You know, it was it was an idyllic setting in many ways, and oof. Uh, uh, honestly, Tony, with this day and age, and I say in a fair sense, somewhat privileged it was. And that yeah. there's a, a community of, of pretty good wealth. I wouldn't say our family, but many others. And But it was truly a public school, uh, but nevertheless, well-maintained, well-cared for, wonderful teaching uh, span or staff, I should say. And it's interesting you mentioned that the the remembrances you have, I too, as I think back on it, I probably have stronger remembrances of my second or my teacher beginning in second grade through sixth grade than I do to, of some of my professors in, in college, uh, that they were, as frankly, most teachers truly dedicated to their profession and to the welfare and an enlightenment, which sounds a bit strong yeah. for grade school, but the enlightenment of the kids and their welfare, uh, and it was just very lucky. And, and so it was a wonderful place to grow up and, and to learn, begin that learning process, which, again, as you know, as a dad with your kids, boy, get that foundation right. It's just essential. It really um, is. To, to put that launching pad in position properly. Um, 
Tell me about what a Kenwood kid would do. You know, I know you probably skated at Lake of the Isles, um, and and you were a multi-sport guy. Uh, How did you get a game? I mean, was it was there just tons of kids in the neighborhood where you got a game of baseball or game of football or game of hockey? Was it pretty easy back then to get a game? Uh, You know, that's a good question. We we had a fairly active neighborhood, and I had five brothers across the street. Who were Um, they? The, the Truax family. Okay, and love really it. Wonderful family and what a household. There was always something going on, as you can imagine. Uh, but as I met more kids in grade school and, and I found that I gravitated towards kids, athletes, whatever, uh, more in the Kenwood area and, and eventually in junior high into grade or Bryn Mawr. Um, but we would, our activities and our practices were either at Isles in the winter yeah, or all our practices were held at Kenwood Park, uh, which, as you know, is really a lovely park for everything but football or baseball. <laughs> it's just it is it is not structured, never has been, and uh, unlikely it ever will be. But we always found a spot in an open field to have football practice, or frankly, baseball practice was set up ad hoc, and you just worked it out. I'm so glad you brought that up because it nothing frustrated me more. Let's just start with football. Just I mean, Kenwood Park is enormous, right? It's got a beautiful hill, beautiful trees. It's got it's land everywhere. There's land everywhere. But for some reason, there was never a football or soccer field of 100 yards and 50 yards wide. They couldn't make it for some reason. And to this day, it frustrates me that we would never play a home soccer or home football game in our home park. We could practice there, but we could never play a game there. What was that about? Well, Tony, and listen, we both were pretty lucky to grow up in that area and to be cared for as we were. Yes. But I, I can remember in with third or fourth grade going to new fields and thinking, oh, my goodness, look, at they've got goalposts. <laughs> so, that, too. I forgot yeah. about that. Yes. Yeah, but it's just so so kids. Kenwood Park was a pretty easy place to grow up, and, and other kids do it on a street or in a back alley with trash. So. Again, we're pretty darn lucky, and you just make the best of it. You pick it up, you go. Ain't those Dan Kenwood people never put a goalpost, never had a field. <laughs> it was weird. We never had a baseball game. At Ken- we would practice at Kenwood, but we could never play there. There was never a game ever played there except maybe well, T-ball. That was it. Well, and really, to, to, to be fair, bless our hearts, that, that our neighbors, their concern was a goalpost more than likely could lead to lights, which would mean something on at night, which would really – uh, disrupt the view of the stars, so we just can't have that. Bring in the riff, no riff raffle out in, nope, in yeah, Kenwood. Absolutely. That's what it was. One thing it was leads a, to another, and here you go. It was bad. Yeah, that's yeah, funny. That's so funny. Uh, okay, so um, you played baseball. I'm guessing you. It was probably just parkboard baseball, playing maybe against Kenwood kids and and maybe some other kids in the city. That was it, right? Yeah, and and I we didn't really travel outside the cities. And yep. uh, even into St. Paul, frankly, we just didn't nope. have to. There's so much activity. So by fourth grade, probably fifth grade, I was trekking not just to Kenwood, but going over to Bryn Mawr, where they really had and still have very nice fields. Yes. As uh, is, is the level of baseball improved a little bit, we became a little bit more serious. Uh, and, and so that was just part of it. And again, most of the kids that I hung out with at that time, and again, you and I have talked about this before, but that the the sports 
were distinct. The seasons were distinct. So we played football in the fall, obviously. That ended by MEA, the latest right? first couple of days in November. And then yeah. hockey started when natural ice was available and a few inside rink. And then then it was baseball. So we we really and I played tennis and, and did other things. So there was a great deal of activity. And I think what it helped with is the development of not only your hand eye, but just the conception of managing a game and game situations. Uh, and I would think, I believe that was a plus uh, for many kids. So when you were skating at, I got to get to some aisles stories sure. here. So when you were skating at aisles, I'll give you my impression and then you give me yours. My sure. impression was um, you, we could go there, you know, whenever the hours of the ice were open, we I would show up and skate as many hours as I could. You'd bring your lunch down to the, the warming house, all that stuff. But then this group of guys, this 16 to 18 year old guys with these parkas on would come down and they would just take over the rink. And it was the high school hockey team. And I remember at a very young age, five or six years old, looking up to them going, I want to be that guy in that parka. And I want to play for that goofy guy who screams and yells at him, Jim Baxter. Did you have that moment or when was your moment where like, this is the sport for me? I, you know, it was probably, I don't know if it was five or six and, and I grew up in the Kenwood area technically, but I was, we were slightly on, on the fringes, if it will. Yeah. And on the lagoon between Dean Parkway Lake guy, and, right? Yeah. Yep. Lake of the Isles. And so I did much of my skating in which I think for better, or for worse, it contributed to my style. It was more of a, a Hollander type skating on the, on, on the canals and, and, trying to use both edges and extending the stride a little bit. So very different what it is today. And point being, so I shoveled the lagoon and played there on a big sheet of ice and, and then would skate over and play at aisles. So it was a very, very different situation. Uh, and I really didn't become aware of West until probably second or third grade and spending more time at aisles and seeing Baxter and seeing these big guys and who always command and control the rink. And, but it was honestly, Tony, it was probably sixth grade or so when I was first allowed inside the boards for right. one of those games. I was going to get to that question. I was going to so get that to that question. Deal. The big yeah. getting into the game and especially the Sunday skate at Lake of the Isles. I mean, I'm sure they still have it where these, you know, people get down there and they have they had goalies and they had the whole deal, the Sunday skates. You remember? So you were sixth grade when you got invited in. Well, and that was, and to your point, we joke about it. And for those uh, listening may not fully well, understand and, and uh, to be fair, appreciate and respectfully because they just, that's just not today. But to be standing on the boards with your stuff on, hoping somebody sees you. And I, it's funny you bring this up, but vividly it comes back. And to have Jim look at you or one of the, big players at West at that time say, well, why don't you come on in? You can get a shift in. Oh my gosh. Heart and, and was, was racing. Just, oh my gosh. This is command. And what happens if you get the puck? What do I do? Well, you just, no matter where you are, you just shoot it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I remember yeah, that. So it, was, it was fun. Great experience. And that's when it really started. And I said, okay, this, this is great. Um, you talked about growing up uh, by the lagoon. Um, anybody who knows the Lake of the Isles area, there's a lagoon that goes between Isles and Cedar Lake, and there's a big bridge there. So I got to ask you, uh, you grew up a block away from the bridge. 
and it's illegal, and there's no statute. I think the statute of limitations has expired. Did you ever jump off the bridge? Tony, you stinker. Now, you never tell my mom <laughs> that, yes, many times, particularly if there's activity of canoes going under the bridge, I can assure you our timing was impeccable. Just scared them. Scared the crap oh, out of them. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's so funny. That's so and funny. And we always had one lookout at either side of the bridge because, you know, goodness gracious, the park police know what we were doing. It drove them nuts. <laughs> I was so, just going to say park police. That's a word you don't hear every day, like the old the dreaded park police. They were the worst. They were the oh, worst. And they, they, we drove them nuts. So off the bridge and somebody yelled police and we'd swim right underneath the bridge and hold ourselves against the side of the bridge so they couldn't see us. We would like try to get snapping turtles. Uh, Chorsky and I would try to get snapping turtles out of Lake of the Isles and then play with them and do whatever sixth grade <laughs> kids do. And then the park police would come. Like the park police were always the dreaded park police. Like we played football on the Lake of the Isles and you couldn't do that for some reason. They, they right. would shuffle us over to Kenwood Park. I'm like, but it's just closer to our house right here by Lake of the Isles. You know, the yeah. park police, they were, they were always, you always had your lookout for the, the, for the park police. Well, those poor guys, they had a very, a, a, just a, with no thanks uh, job. And, and they were, their, their whole mission was to take the air out of the balloon. I mean, goodness <laughs> gracious, those poor guys. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. All right. So you, you, uh, tell me about the sports. Um, uh, what, what did you play in football? Were you quarterback, uh, running back, lineman? You, you weren't very big, so you couldn't have been a lineman. No. Goodness gracious. Um, I was a quarterback in, gosh, I would say from second grade on. And Tony, I, I don't know. We've never talked about this, but, and I was a pretty good quarterback. I could throw the ball. Okay. And, and I was a reasonably good runner and all that stuff. Uh, and very competitive as you might suspect. Yep. And I played quarterback, which, and, and some of my high school classmates would go, finally, he's admitting to it. And up until my the second game of my senior year in high school and i was one of the captains of the team with jim couples uh, we were co-captains who was just an exceptional not only athlete but football player and we we had really really had a good team we won the first game of the year against cloquet and we were ranked number one in the in the state and so really? it was a big deal yeah and then we lost to edison and i played both ways i played cornerback and and quarterback Lost to Edison, heartbreaker at Parade Stadium way back when. And then then the following week, we lost or I think 15 to 6 to an exceptional Washburn team. I was going to say, Washburn and Edison just ruled the roost in the 70s. They, they were the state champs. Washburn was that year. But very disappointing because we clearly had the horsepower to do it. And I think the weakest link we had in the team was me. Seriously. <laughs> so, and, and so that Chuck Boss, you may remember the name, wonderful man, was the head coach. And he pulled me aside after the loss to Washburn that following week. And he and and we'll we'll speak to Jim Baxter, but he was the defensive coach. Anyways, they talked and and Chuck said, you know, Wiz, you aren't going to be quarterback anymore. Oh, I was devastated. devastated. Really? And by the way, you aren't going to be we aren't going to have you on defense anymore. Oh, my gosh. Coach Foss, I, I feel horrible. This uh, talk about a demotion. Yeah. I, am I still on the team? Yes, you're still on the team. I said, all right, well, coach, why? Well, one, we've been watching you pass the ball. And we realize the ball does not spiral when you throw it. It's more <laughs> like a shot put. <laughs> so, and, and we've got a junior 
Steve Erickson, who throws a rope, and he's a better quarterback than you. Oh, but how about on defense? Well, here's the other thing. We've been watching you, and, and we had a little bit of film, and you can't run backwards. That's a problem. Oh, my. So we're going to put – yeah, so we're going to put you in as a running back, and you'll be a halfback, and you'll still be on the team. So, how did you do? Well, I it, we ended up we won the rest of our games, and I was all city. Yeah, and, and so it worked out okay. But so we had and end up having a pretty good season. But the point is that I had coaches at that time, and and obviously there's a little bit of a lesson that I've used on myself often. That play to your strengths, right? And good coaches men or women, regardless of the sport or regardless of the situation in business or whatever it may be, work with your team and your assets and let those individuals, those young men and women, play to their strengths. And that's what Coach Voss did. Put me in a, in a position where I could help the team the most and leverage my skills. And for the two people that replaced me, both on offense, Steve Erickson and Tony Markson in defense, they're exceptional and well beyond me in terms of their skill set. And as a team, we proved to be much better. Well, that's great. I wanted to talk. I, I literally had it's in my notes right here. Um, I wanted to talk about playing football at Parade Stadium and what a big yeah. deal that was. So, to set the scene now, Parade Stadium, from a Minneapolis West perspective, is right in the heart of Minneapolis West. I mean, this is a, kind of our home stadium. So, the kids from Roosevelt, the kids from North, the kids from Edison, they would have to basically come into our backyard and play, and they would host these. They hosted the state championship games at Parade Stadium. There was no yeah. Metrodome. There was no. They didn't play it. They played it at Parade Stadium. And I remember growing up very close to Parade Stadium, how special it was to go watch city conference games and state championship games right basically in our own backyard. What was it like to play in a sold-out Parade Stadium and under the lights on a Friday night? That must have been just an unbelievable experience. Well, Tony, and you may recall the field at West High School, High School it, it had grass. It had probably two to three square yards of grass, which was in the far end of the corner of one of the end zones. Yes. Otherwise, it was small pebbles and rocks. It wasn't good. And, and so one of the reasons that, frankly, as a running back, you ran pretty hard because the last thing you wanted to do was to be tackled on that, on that turf or what they called turf. Yeah. It hurt. Yeah. So the, the experience of going to Parade Stadium as a kid and would you say parade probably could hold up to five, maybe 6,000 people? In yeah, 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 for sure. And, and it was, it was as if you're going to a division two college stadium or something. It was really dramatic and initially traumatic, but it was really a thrill. And the field was impeccable. Yes. The, uh, it was maintained by the park board. It was just gorgeous grass and, and it was just, and we played baseball of course in the uh, stadium adjacent, which was our home field. And it was really, it was big time. So you really felt like a champ. They had Hockey Day Minnesota there last year. and Oh, my goodness, that's right. And I'll tell you a quick story. I So I, there was just so many memories of, of that day just flooding. My childhood memories just flooding through. And... And I thought it was kind of neat. I was seeing, you know, like I told a lot of my friends from World, I'm like, yeah, this is this is where I grew up. This is my backyard. This is I've been to your backyard. Now you've been to my backyard. It's kind of neat. 
But there was this neat little thing about uh, that hockey day at Parade Stadium was people were people were arriving. Uh, I remember Frank Bellinger showed up in a in a uh, West Cowboys jersey. I saw Edison Tommy's jackets. I saw Washburn Miller's. I saw Roosevelt Teddy's. All these people kind of just coming out of the woodwork with their with their relic uh, city conference uh, jerseys and hats and swag on. It was fun to watch. That's for sure. Fun to be fun. part of. Too bad the well, the weather was miserable. But other than that, it was it was a fun day to be part of Hockey Day Minnesota down there. Well, those those memories, good and bad for the most part, though, very good and joyous. And they do bring back wonderful feelings of what was. And and it, I think it's, perhaps as I get older, Tony, to have a moment to pause like that and reflect is uh, is very healthy. And we've had a lot of that during the COVID here. So um, I, there's another thing I want to talk about, the kind of a city conference theme is do you remember the uh they called it the preview where they brought oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see? <laughs> so it was at the auditorium usually, um, and they would line everyone up, and you'd play like one period against Central, or you'd play one period. They usually kind of stacked the good teams against the good teams and the bad teams against the bad teams, so no one would get their hurly- feelings hurt. What are your recollections of the preview? Well, it is a it, sophomore year, both football and uh, hockey, just how excited I was. Oh, my gosh, this was the big time, and yeah. here we are. We've made it. Uh it, and you look back and you go, well, it seems kind of silly, but nevertheless, it was really fun. And it gave the kids uh, a sense of a, being a part of something much greater, much bigger. Uh, and they really did it right at that time. I, I Obviously, these days, it'd probably be difficult. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, at that time, I remember it distinctly and just how excited I was. And I think it was there was like everyone got the jerseys on for the first time. It was there was a certain newness about the the preview, and you got to see everybody like, oh, Roosevelt's going to be good this year. We saw him at the preview. <laughs> you remember there was always this there was this like unintended consequences that came out of the out of the preview every year. But I I would love to go into it. And then there would be all the teams would be there too. You know the the Southwest kids would be there, and the Roosevelt kids would be there. You know what I mean everyone would be there all in the same building. It was it was kind of a neat little spectacle. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a circus, but it was really fun. Yeah. All right. So, I want to talk. I want to, we we, we got to talk about playing for Coach Baxter, um, Jim Baxter. Uh, let me give you some background for the people who don't know who he is. He coached. I want to say at least forty, maybe fifty years. Uh, of hockey uh, okay. and football. Um, some at Minnehaha Academy, coached Jack Blatherwick and Jerry Peterson over at Minnehaha. Um, and then he coached at West for years and then finished at Southwest. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he came out of retirement and coached up in Ely when he was retired up in Ely. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Was he teaching at all or just no, coaching? They just said, hey, you want to coach? He went, sure. Oh, you know, and sure enough, he coached coach. some years up there as well during his retirement. I don't know how many it was. Well, um, and, and Tony, to your point, he loved Ely with all his heart because he hand-built his cabin up there on the lake. And, uh, oh, it was his, he, he was, and I don't say it to be funny, it was his heaven, truly. It was. Did you ever go there? I, I've been on the lake. I did go to his cabin. Uh, years later, Jane and I, gosh, we just had our second child and went with friends and stayed up at, oh gosh, what is the, the, it's the Hams Lake Lake. Um, what is the lodge up gun? No, not gunflit. I'm sorry, Tony. We'll come to me later. Anyways, he was on that lake. I called Jim, let him know. We took a 
the lodge took us in a boat ride over to see him. We saw the cabin. It was truly magnificent, hand-split logs, which he did himself. Yeah. And and uh, saw the kids, his girls were up there. So it was just really both magical and, and very heartwarming for Jim to let him to show, show off his place and what he'd done. He was a throwback even – when we were, he was pre-throwback, you know, he oh, yeah. was he, so, he had a, man. remember the straight stick? I mean, like he wore, he had a straight stick. He did not have a curved stick. Right. Um, he had the old blades. He would never get the new toque blades. Um, his <laughs> helmet, he was like super, super old school, like ultra old school guy. Uh, yeah. a, a Christian man. I mean, a devout Christian. He shared his yes. beliefs with, you know, whether maybe that was okay or not okay. Um, he lived he, his beliefs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every he, day. He, he oh, yeah. rarely had to say his beliefs, except we always prayed before every game. I remember yeah. that. Um, and I remember that he just was one of a kind. He always had a beard. Uh, one of a kind guy. Funny. Super funny. Really funny guy. Um, that was. That's my description. I think you could probably do a better job. Well, he and I would say this. You know. You know. I guess, and we've all run into it. We've seen it, and frankly, probably more so over these past couple of years. Those that speak to their convictions, convictions, I should say, and those that live their convictions. And for Jim, it was truly he'd lived them. That was Jim Baxter. And and I would say there was probably inside of him a pretty, pretty strong temper. But he learned to control that and manage that. And, and much of it through just self-discipline, of course, but also through, I think, his very, very strong belief in his faith and the, the teachings of Christ is, I would say, how he viewed it. Yeah. Uh, and that's how he lived and with his family. And he he I, he wasn't intolerant, but he made it clear that there was very little room for negotiation in terms of living a life. And you obviously had your own choice, but you had to be respectful of how he looked on it, and, and which was just fine. Uh, and, and, and to this day, I look at him and say, oh, my gosh, he he was in every way. Jim is who you saw is who you got. Uh, that was Jim Baxter. No curse words, curse words, nope. no, none of his mouth. And they weren't tolerated on the bench. They were not tolerated, period. He was not going to tolerate any of that behavior. Yeah. And, and I think I think Jim, to be fair, one, he was opposed to it. Fundamentally, two. I think he had clearly had the maturity and experience to know once you down, start down that path, that that becomes essentially how you can speak and look at things. And he said, no, you just don't do that. And and I again, that was uh, a, a really a, a wonderful learning for a, from for me, a young guy at 14, 15 years old to see that. I uh, when he passed away, um... I, I, it was something online, and and I never really. He was just Coach Baxter ever since I was a five year old kid with this kind of gray hair and beard, sure. and funny, and wore a cowboy hat all the time. You know that that's the other thing people don't realize. He wore a cowboy hat because, and he was the coach of the Cowboys. It was just the coolest oh thing, gosh. right? But I saw a picture of him like probably in, in the forties or fifties or whatever when he was in his formative years. He was a handsome guy. I mean Oh my God. <laughs> I was, you know what I mean? You don't look at him that way when you're just coach, but I saw some like old later on, like, wow, he's a good looking guy and super funny and very charismatic man. Oh, he was. And and gee, the guy was he was built like the Hulk. <laughs> and he took care of himself and and worked out every Every day, even whether he was on the ice or not, 
and it's just extremely disciplined. Yeah, what a what a fabulous and one yeah. more one more Jim Baxter moment. Um, again, speaking to the old school, his, his wife's name was Diane. Is that right? Yes. And she was just as old school as he was. I mean, it was just like straight out of like the fifties we were living in, but we were in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, he he. I tell you, Tony, as I recall, my impression, he absolutely cherished oh. Diane and his daughters. Anything else, and his and the three daughters. And here's a guy, Mister Rough and Ready, um, with three girls, uh, and but he cherished Diane and Diane truly loved him and respected him and they they just they had a wonderful marriage uh and and i don't you may recall they in addition to jim's brother uh they had a had a great band yeah <laughs> i forgot I, about I, that yes and, oh my gosh jim could play the banjo the so banjo it was really fun to watch them uh and and i remember the first time he was at an event and where i was and to see him in his, he was usually dressed in a cowboy outfit, and Diane was on the bass, and his brother on the guitar, and Jim on the banjo. <laughs> and, I'm sorry. He, so it speaks so to his funny. A, a really a Renaissance man. Yes. Uh, and in addition to, as I heard, and I fortunately, and I say this with great sincerity, never took his chemistry class because that's a skill set beyond and an intellect beyond me. But he was regarded as an exceptional teacher taught chemistry for many, many years, as you know, at West and Southwest. Yeah. Here's a quick Diane story for you. I'm a little kid. My brother is 10 years older, so I'm whatever, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. She saw me coming from a mile away because I was literally watching every game, glued to the game. She came up to me and goes, hey, are you Mike's little brother? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, would you like helping me track the stats? I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> She goes, whenever they shoot the puck, you you take down a note here. And then whenever they get a puck, you write down a line. So I did her stats for her for four straight years of my brother's career. And I, I didn't miss a game. She's like, oh, you missed a game because I had my own game or something. She goes, oh, I had to work so hard. I didn't realize how much work you do for me, Tony. And I'm like, oh, she had me. She played me like a fiddle, you know. Isn't that great? It well, was great. Was, to, to your point, Tony, as you know, he was really ahead of the time in terms of tracking those stats. Oh, yeah. He was great. Well, we could go yeah. on and on. One more uh, uh, one more coach. I just, you know, he was uh, just such a big figure in the in the city conference, won a state title in 1970. You played against those great Southwest teams. Um, what was Dave Peterson like to you? What, what was your impression of Dave Peterson? Because he was just such a big figure in the conference. Yeah. It, it, the, I, he was, I'd regard him as one, you know, I, coach, I played for Cleary, which was probably the most proficient and, and knowledgeable coach I ever played for. Uh, Bill Cleary knew the game like nobody else. But I would say, and I actually, with Bob Johnson as well, at summer camp. and But Dave Peterson I got to know because he, too, was a, an instructor, very close friend of Bob Johnson's, which brings back many memories, I'm sure, for those listening. But uh, Dave Peterson coached Southwest for a long time. Coached the Olympic team. I think it was, was it 88 and 92? Yes, 88 and 92. Yep. Yep. But was an exceptional coach. And I got to know him, as I said, uh, Bob Johnson's hockey school in in Aspen, where I was both a student and then ended up coaching as well. And Dave was exceptional. His knowledge of the game, his 
he had a skill and ability to relate to players that was really exceptional. Uh, and as a kid, I remember that. But boy, was he tough. Yeah. So if you didn't pull your oar, um, as a current coach says today, but Dave was all over you, but not in a negative way. He yeah. held you accountable to what you could do. He, he didn't berate you. He essentially, and I remember it, you know, again, as a kid, asking you, you're better than that. Why aren't you doing that? And and so, again, he held you accountable to your talents. And, and so it was just exceptional. I thought that he, uh, it, their teams weren't very good in the first half of the year. And then by the second half of the year, they were just buzzsawing everybody. That was always my takeaway of Southwest teams. They were. Well, they, Dave, Dave lived, uh, and, and this is going to sound somewhat sarcastic. It's not meant to be, but a little bit in his old, own world. And he too was a, a teacher and instructor and, an administrator at Southwest High School, and again, due to his wonderful temperament, uh, just a great guy. Uh, but they, as many people well might not know, if you go to the Southwest field today, which is the home of the Lakers, yes, you look at the football field, and in the and I was there one time because in ninth grade I played midgets with a lot of the Southwest guys, um, and so Dave had invited us over to scrimmage against his team or something like that. But if you look at the South east corner there's a a concrete field house block. we call it the field, yeah, house. field house that dave set that up as their warming house for the hockey team in the winter and put up his own rink so i've, I've talked about was, this on a few yes. different podcasts Wiz. it was an unbelievably huge advantage for southwest over oh, the what? other schools because they had their own rink basically own so to answer, field answer house, your question, everything. that's one of the reasons that they were so good is they were so strong physically and in such great condition. They, they with two lines, they just wear people down. Yeah, they were great. They were fun to watch. Yep. All right, so we we got to get going here. Got to yep. get. We got to. We got to get to Harvard. Um, talk to me about getting into Harvard because that's not an easy. Even to, today, it's almost impossible. But even in the seventies, it's the number one uh, university in the world. Um, when did this process start that, Hey, I might be Harvard material, whether it be athletically or, uh, academically. Uh, you know, it's a fair question. It, it first started, uh, actually sophomore year when I started to get some letters, uh, from schools, um, Dartmouth and what else? Yale. And then probably junior year, Harvard and the coaches came out or, it, and however it came about, it's again, Tony, as you know, for, and I would say candidly for better, for worse, very different today. Um, but so I was on somebody's radar and I had, I had good grades in school intentionally. So as we've discussed, I worked yeah. at school, I wasn't a brilliant kid. And, and, and as you would suspect, as you see me as an adult, I'm not in a brilliant adult, but, but I'm pretty hard working. Just, just handsome, just stuff. handsome. That's all. <laughs> Well, that that can get you sometimes a smile, but that's about it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I was pretty tenacious, and and I knew in in my heart, and I was recruited by Wisconsin and Colorado College, and but I knew in my heart that it was probably best for me. Why I don't know as a young man, but it was best for me to try to get away from home, and I needed to push myself, uh, just for whatever reason. Is it and it happened? So I, th I, I think Glenn Sonmer was the coach of the Gophers at the time, correct? Well, he and I wasn't 
recruited, I was kind of recruited by the U, but in a half-hearted way. And Glenn, in my fall of my senior year, went to the Saints. Yes. Yes. And so there was a transition there and a little bit of gap. And I did pay a formal visit to the U. And it was kind of haphazard. And and I remember meeting Mike Antonovich and Dean Blaze uh, and thinking, wow, this is a big deal. And they got a great sheet of ice. But wow, the U seemed overwhelming to me. And and I just, again, it was in my heart. I said, you know, I, I just, I have to get away. And I felt comfortable even as a kid. I don't think I'm running from, but I need to run to. Right. Uh, and, and so that, I was stuck on that. And so not to shorten it up and knowing your time respects here. Yeah. It was interesting. Our last football game, my senior year, we, we played at, at the U at the Memorial Stadium believe it or not, against Marshall U. Really? And that was their yeah, home we, field? That was their home field. So oh, my God. It, it was the <laughs> Now the gopher there. hockey players live in a condo, and it's called the Marshall, and it's at the yeah. actual grounds of Marshall University School. Yeah, isn't that something? Yes. Yeah. And and so it was – and they didn't have the strongest football team, and we ended up uh, with a pretty big win. And But a classmate of mine and dear friend today, Lincoln Davis, quite a character, he and I – finished the game and it was an early morning game on a Saturday, which was a rarity, but we were done by two o'clock. We literally cleaned up and got into his mom's station wagon and we drove East without any plans. And he wanted to see a couple schools. And I said, well, I'll go with you and I'll visit Yale, Harvard and Dartmouth. Let's just, so I just popped in on the coaches to their surprise and got a feel for the campuses and came home and said, you know, I like Harvard the best. I met Bill Cleary. He in turn came out that winter and saw us play a little bit and was recruiting and I had good enough scores and grades and got in. And so I said, okay, let's go. All right. So Bill Cleary's got no idea Wiz Wyatt is going to pay him a visit. You just popped into his office and he happened to be there. Yeah. Just called and said, here I am. You called him when you were in Boston, when I was not in before Boston. you were there. No. That's pretty cool. All right, so uh, what was it about the school? Was it was it the, the because it was the hardest school to get into? Was it was that what the, the or no, was it well, the comfort some, level? What was it? Yeah, I think it. I that and the prestige to a certain extent, but I'm not sure I fully understood that at the time. And and certainly I didn't fully appreciate the breadth of their academic offering. Goodness gracious! I, yeah. And not until I realized at the end of my freshman year, I was in trouble academically. Did I realize? Holy crap <laughs> there's some smart people here and i'm just slightly below the middle right for sure uh but nevertheless it was i had the good fortune to meet a couple hockey players and one in particular and we mentioned a, a guy who i played with he's a couple years ahead of me freddie paul i met his Duluth older guy brother, right uh, an older his older brother tommy yeah from duluth great guy he was the captain of harvard i had I met him. I visited his room. A couple of roommates looked at the rink, just said, wow, this seems like a neat place. Okay, I'll go here. Yeah, but okay, so now that's great. So he comes out. Are you good enough to play for Harvard? Do you know you're going there? To You can play there? Or what, at what point do you get the handshake from Bill Cleary to say, come to Harvard? Well, when he was down at Isles, he and his the freshman coach at that time went into Coach Yale, Tim Taylor. <laughs> we're on the board, the right? Just Tim Taylor, right? And he he just said, you know, Wiz, we'd love to have you at Harvard. And and Bill's again slightly different than today, Tony. There was no 
commitment you're going to play, or we've got five guys coming in and, and to be clear and, and somewhat bold again, the arrogance of youth, I didn't care. I, I knew I could play. It didn't matter. I was going to play somehow, some way. Uh, so off I, love I, went. I love yep. it. Um, and this wasn't just some haphazard team that Bill Clary, I mean, these were, these were championship caliber teams that were, you know, playing, you know, as, as good as BU and as good as BC or better. Or better. And we had, a, and at that time, uh, as you probably know, we, you weren't allowed to play varsity and, and not that I could have, we had an exceptional varsity team when I was a freshman, we weren't allowed to play varsity. Uh, but we, our freshman team, oh my goodness. And when I was on the ice early on, and this is again, early November, cause we started mid October. Um, and you realize, and, and I would say going through high school, I was just to be clear, probably at any given time, one of the two or three fastest kids on the ice. Yep. And then, then I got to Harvard and I realized, no, every kid is as fast as I am. Right. With the exception of about five or six who are so much faster. So you, you really, and, and also I was at that time playing with some prep school kids who had a year of prep school. So they were a year plus older. Right. Uh, and it, you had to dial up the game in a hurry. It, the goaltending was different. The speed was different. The expectations were different. There were no delays in the corners. So when you're going to get hit, you know, as opposed to a count of one, two, it was immediate. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, you had to change your game. And so I, I, fortunately I did, and it was great coaching by Timmy and I was able to make the transition. So uh, let's give some people here a history lesson of who Bill Cleary was, not just as a coach at Harvard, but as a player. Yeah. And we could go on and on and, and it's, it sounds perhaps silly for those that again, Tony much younger than us to say he was one of the greatest um, college hockey players, if not the greatest ever. And, and cause that, that, that mantle gets put on many. Right. Um, and Chris, there are some, you could, my opinion, you could throw a Neil Broughton into that and, and a Mark Johnson. Yes. But Bill Cleary was truly unbelievable for a guy coming out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where there wasn't a lot of natural ice <laughs> gifted. And we saw that even when he was his early forties and occasionally he'd scrimmage with us, just remarkable. Uh, but he went on to play in the 56 team Olympic and was on the 60 uh, team that beat the Russians in Squaw Valley. One of the great wins to win the gold medal and just not only an exceptional player in his natural gifts, but so tenacious. He was every bit thinking of Jim Baxter, every bit as tenacious, if not more so than Jim Baxter or a Bob Johnson, who I had a chance to coach with or watch and actually play against uh, in his later years. <clears throat> and these guys had a special spark and fire in them that which which allowed them and gave them the the, the drive to get to that next level. Uh, but that was Bill Cleary. And his knowledge of the game, too, was exceptional. And, and accordingly, he he had some great teams in the 70s there. Um, and, and due to his coaching skill and, and the quality of players he could attract. Tell, tell me about, you know, we talked about Jim Baxter as a mentor, as someone to kind of as a, as a, a someone, as some leads, some example to lead by. What was some of the examples you got from Bill Cleary as a leader? You know, if, if there's one that I took away, there were several, so don't misunderstand me, but one that still burns in a good way 
uh, and and it goes to a speech that Teddy Roosevelt gave. But that was the epitome of Bill Cleary. You never, ever, ever quit. Never. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I I, I want to get to some other things, but uh, we'll, I'm gonna take a quick little break before we get into your hockey career because I want this was a perfect time for it. Um, yeah. If people don't know the connection you've had to me too, I want to make sure I didn't want to forget this part. And it's a perfect lead in. Um, I was recently graduated from the University of Minnesota, probably 1992, 90, yeah, 94. 94. I moved into South Minneapolis, bought my first house. I'm driving home from downtown Minneapolis, and I see this park, and it's 25 kids and a coach, and the coach looks like he's lost because he's got 25 kids. So I pull my car over, and I go over, and I watch, and and the kids go run a lap or something, and the coach comes up to me, and he goes, what do you want? Are you one of the parents? And I'm like, no, I'm a little young to be a parent yet, the kids this age. I'm like, well, I'm just fascinated. I, I loved playing football when I was a kid, and I would love to – maybe help out. And sure enough, five days later, I was the head coach of that team. And I get in the car, I'm driving home, and I get home and I sit down and I go, well, how did I just get corralled into coaching a youth football team of kids I've never even coached? And I thought to myself, I go, hmm, that's what Wiz Wyatt did. And now I'm in where Wiz Wyatt was recently out of college coaching kids that weren't his kids. And I basically got, sure enough, that there was one hockey player on the team, on that football team. They recruited me to coach their, you know, their hockey team. And sure enough, one of the hockey dads found me to coach their baseball team. And I'm, you know, no kids and recently engaged. I found myself coaching three different teams for the next nine or ten years before I had kids. And and I, I owe a lot of that to you as an oh, example. Aren't you nice? So I just want to make sure – I just didn't name this award after you because you were a neat guy. You were a, a, a living example to me, and I really appreciate it. Well, what greater success could I have? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it. Uh, yeah. I, that's I, how I, it passes on. It yeah. does. It passes it down. And I, I used to always say that to my, especially my football guys and some of my hockey guys, you got to, what, what are you going to do when you're done? Are you going to do, are you going to help out? Are you going to give back to this game that's given a lot to you? So, you bet. all right, so let's get to the games. There's some good games here. 1974, you guys, Harvard makes the final four. It's in your hometown in Boston Garden. Um, walk through the game against Michigan Tech where you last in the final four well first off remember when you say boston garden for most that are listening they'll probably think oh my gosh what a lovely stadium <laughs> it was a rat pit <laughs> this is the old garden yes and believe me and this is pre-world war one I, I i don't quote me on that but and and I, when i say rat pit i'm quite serious you get into the upper decks there were rats gross and this place oh my gosh what a pit but it was the home of Bobby Orr. And and I remember at the time it, too, he, you oh were in the yes. height of Bobby Orr. And of course, Billy know him, Billy Cleary knew all those guys. And so I remember, um, before the start of the final four, we, even though it was our home turf, it, it becomes neutral, obviously. And so yeah. we were allowed to go to the garden. Bill said, I want you guys to spend a little time in the garden. Of course, we'd played the bean pot there and that stuff, but nevertheless to get a bit of feel, like walking the stadium, if you can think of it. So we sat down and watched the Bruins play, and they were practicing. Yeah. And you had Derek Sanderson, you had Espo, you had Bobby Orr, and, and then Bobby Orr came up and sat with us and 
and then we practice and he stayed and watched us practice and i thought oh my gosh this this is this is you hate to say it but this is like similar to having a god in the rink with you yes. so it was really it was really special to say the least um so it was it was we got our butts kicked but nevertheless it was a great experience um did you have any uh home ice advantage did you have more fans there than the than the other fans or other teams or did you get that feeling? So Tony, so, you know, Tony, to be fair, let, let me describe it this way. Um, this was probably, it wasn't sophomore, it might have been junior year. And I was fussing through something, probably an economics course or whatever. I, I don't know, talking to one of my professors and said, well, something to the effect, well, I've got to get going because I've got hockey practice. And th- it, all sincerity looked at me and said, oh, I didn't know we had a hockey team. <laughs> So as you say, did we have more fans? I'm sure there were some locals that, yes, were rooting for us. But there wasn't a home ice advantage. Forget it. Really? Oh, that's yeah. funny. That is great. Uh, yeah. Next year you make it. Now, this is there's a lot more meat on the bone for this story. Um, <laughs> you guys play the Gophers and in the, in the semifinals. Now, now basically, now, now Herbie's taken over the team, so every kid's from Minnesota. You know right. every one of the players on this team, whether you've played I, against them in high school or you played them uh, in the, in the summer, uh, summer leagues, uh, you're playing against them, and you got them by – you're up 3-1 going into the third period. Oh, Go through what we're, happened We're there. in St. Louis, yes. gorgeous old stadium. Uh, and, and again, they, I don't know if it was Hippodrome, what they call it. It was magnificent. I think it was like a Checkerdome, wasn't it called? Something. But the Blues were relatively new and, and a big deal in any way. So we're, we're uh, just feeling like champs here. And a big deal to be in the Final Four. And I was pretty excited. And my parents drove down from Minnesota. And so it was one of the few times they watched me play. And, and uh, we are up. We're up 3-1 in going into the third period. Now, as you said in your preface, I knew many of these players, most of them. and played against them or knew them, what have you, and certainly knew Herbie Brooks. And Herbie Brooks, goes without saying, was, bless his heart, was one tough rascal. Yes. And this is a guy that had wonderful talent, as proven by his track record as a player, but not necessarily the most gifted but he made up for it with that St. Paul attitude. Everybody's against me. I hate the world, but I'm going to get ahead of you because I'm going to kick your butt. So that obviously was ingrained in his teams. And you saw that in how he handled the, the Olympics in 80 and just the tenacity and we're going to win by outworking people. Well, that was the team. Some very talented players, my goodness. Uh, but nevertheless, very tough. So as I said to the team in a pre-third game and and i was low on the totem pole in terms of player and i wasn't a top scorer in any respect uh but played third and fourth line etc but i was very emotional because i knew it was expected and really wanted to beat these guys as did our team and so i piped up not my place i was not captain but said in a somewhat shaky voice pay attention particularly when we start this third period i know herbie do, you're going to have to be tough because they aren't even going to go after the puck. They're going to try to drill us right off the rink. And unfortunately, and there were some that our team said, yeah, 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 we're lighting up. We got this and three, one, we, you know, we're playing great, blah, blah, blah. Well, sure enough, in the first five minutes, I assure you that it, you, they might not have been, there's no reason to have a puck. They drilled us in every respect and, and just 
creamed us and ended up winning five three and it was a it was a devastating loss and unfortunately one I will never ever forget. That had to have been hard, very hard. It was. It was, it was just really because we really had a good team and it was a shame we had it. But credit to um, to you, to the golfers, they came out and said, "No, no, we're going to do our best to win this." Now I did a interview uh, a couple weeks ago with Gary Smith, who was the trainer for the Gophers at the time, Smitty, and he was the uh, 80 Olympic trainer. And he told a story about uh, Cleary and Brooks didn't have much love for one another. Did you pick up Not, on that early? You know, or, I, or did, it, or did I that go think, later on in life? No, 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 no. This the stuff, and as you know, Tony, what is so wonderful is is with the years you've been involved with this and. And, and just your, your ability, not only your skill set intellectually, but really your temperament. So you're willing to ask, to dig into the personal questions, which oftentimes are the root of the behavior, to say the least. Yeah. And this, so Herbie goes back to the 60 Olympics. Yes. Herbie was the last guy cut. Ooh. Yes. Billy's, Billy's brother, the story goes, was not. Originally, and he was an exceptional hockey player, was not originally selected on the 60. It wasn't sure he was going to make the final team. He did. Really? Herbie, Herbie did. So there's no love loss. Even going back, this oh. is 15 years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, Billy, know, they know each other. And even more so than I would say today, it was a small world. So, Bob Johnson knew Billy Cleary. Herbie knew all these guys knew one another. They played against each other. They'd competed on the national team to go to the Olympics, be it in 56 or in 60 or in hockey. They all knew one another. Do you remember in the movie Miracle? They had these, you know, I don't maybe they were, you know, Walter Bush and Lou Nanny and, you know, Bob Johnson, all these people. It's almost like you got that back room, old school feel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, sure. Well, you got that feeling that, that there was there was a lot going, a lot more going. And Disney portrayed it as, oh, yeah, we're for, for all friends. But if you if you if you peel back the onion a little bit for a, a lot of those guys didn't really like each other because they were oh. competing against each other for national championships every well, year. Well, in, in many ways, there was a much smaller universe. And think of a think of a small to medium sized town. Tony, this is and perhaps something that provides some relevancy to those listening a small to medium sized town, but it's got two high schools. Yes. Well, I can tell you what, it's going to be dog eat dog with those two high schools. Well, that's the way it was between the Western collegiate hockey and ECAC. Yes. And you know, the East coast guys, they were too tough and they really weren't very good skaters. Nothing, nothing like the WCH. That was the sentiment and the view from the WCHA. Right. Whereas the ECAC, which held true when I played, you know, those WCH guys, kind of a bunch of brutes. And and when you look at it, they're probably much more prairie Canadians. And so a lot of those guys couldn't spell. And so, oh, boy. Well, pretty far from the truth in both cases in terms of a definition or description. Right. So it was really a big deal when you think about it that, one, the goaltender was from BU on, this, on, this, yes, on the uh, Olympic team in 80, right? And Arizioni was the captain who I played against at BU. Yeah. So that Herbie, to his credit, picked the best team. Yeah. Whether they were clearly the best players, which could 
you know, that's great uh, coffee chatter. But he picked the best team because his purpose and his intent, his sole intent, was to win the gold medal. Yeah, he was great. There's no arguing that. That's it. A quick one. Uh, I'm digging through roster, and and this name pops off your Harvard roster. Bob Goodnow was a teammate of yours. Oh, yeah, that guy. You know, he's the the executive director for the NHLPA for like 15 years. Oh, yeah, very smart guy, attorney, uh, out of Michigan, out of that crew, out of Detroit, the junior Red Wings, exceptional hockey player, had a – just a booming shot and bob i hope you aren't listening but you know it you were not always the cleanest guy on the on the rink and i remember (laughs) sophomore year playing scrimmaging getting a little bit of tussle and going away from the boards and realizing he speared me wow and oh yeah yeah bob took no prisoners Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's a great take. He didn't take yeah. any prisoners while being in in charge of the NHL either. You know, NHL hey, players. He, he was he tough. Was, he had a like a ten day strike before the playoff. I mean, he was dirty. I mean, in a good way for the players. Yeah, he, he was tough. And 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 the good thing is when you're on Bob's side, boy, you were, you know, you were part of the team. But he was pretty tough. That's for sure. All right, uh, we're running low on time. I'm trying to get you in here. We're a yep. little over an hour already, uh, but we got to talk about the squad of mine that you coached. Um, and I, I was digging through some of the names, and and I just want to get you know you weren't originally you weren't our first choice. You were the assistant coach, and the guy hands the reins off to you. He ran into some tr- he had more work than he had estimated. Uh, walk through coaching youth hockey for the first time as a young twenty something. Well, I, you know, as we've discussed before, I'd, I'd been back from Saudi Arabia as I, my banking days there, uh, and I'd been back on oh, less than a year and wanted to get involved, do something, wanted to skate again. And so this happens, the transition, he looks to me as, as we're talking about, he truly, he was, he was the construction business, had more than he could handle and said, you've got to take it. And that was the last I saw of him. And of course, my first thought was, who me? Think of the Mad Magazine. Yeah. What 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 am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. But okay, here we go. And it was truly one of the greatest experiences of my life. Wonderful, Tony. The kids, the parents, and as you know, that the teammates that you had. And this granted, it goes way back, but nevertheless, the whole the colloquial feeling of that and the camaraderie. In the engagement of the parents in a good way, so supportive, not only of me, but of the kids. And we, to, to no surprise, like any young team, meaning age-wise, it was a mixed bag of skill, size, talent. <clears throat> you had some that had started to hit their growth spurt and others that were probably two or three years away from it. So if you look at a picture, it was anywhere from three and a half feet to six feet. Uh, but a mixed max, and, but yet kids that just wanted to play hockey. Uh, yeah. and do their best. And so if there was anything without intention, what I hoped to accomplish was to create a team and teamwork. And for at least for you guys at those age, experience the, the joys of having wonderful teammates and working hard. And again, that bit of tenacity from Cleary, never, ever quit. Yes, you play to win. But, but a big part of winning is truly being a competitor. And if you can learn that, that will carry you through forever. 
and again, there was no social media. There was no media really per se. Um, but with your name was very distinctive and being around coach Baxter, cause my brother now comes in right behind you to some degree. He played 75 to 78 at Minneapolis West and you were, had been gone a couple of years, but now you were playing at Harvard and playing in, you know, in big time college hockey. So your name yeah. had in a weird kind of way, you, there was this little in, in Kenwood, at least just a little bit of a brand like Wiz Wyatt, Wizzy Wyatt, Wiz Wyatt, Wizzy Wyatt. It was just kind of a memorable name, you know, and now you were going to be my Bantam coach. And it was like, you know, you know, God had sent Jesus down to take care of his sheep. You know, I was like, oh, Wiz Wyatt's our coach. And, you know, just the name was cool, right? You know, you could have been a, an average coach, and we would have thought you were the greatest coach ever. But you were an outstanding coach. Um, but what I, I have a couple memories, and I've, I've shared this with you before offline. We've got to say it publicly. Um, yeah. You were fantastic at bringing up the rear, our younger guys, like you talked about the three foot six guys, um, you pumped those guys up in front of us to the point where we were almost, the, the guys that are on the first line were almost invisible. That was the first thing. Walk through kind of your approach to, you know, the three line system and, and, and making sure everybody belongs. Well, consciously or unconsciously, and I'll give myself a little credit to say consciously, as we've talked before, Tony, you know, you go through life and God willing health and stuff allows you many years ahead. Uh, you're you and later in life, all of us get faced with getting cut. Yeah. Well, for goodness gracious, who am I to do that? Why would I want any kid that's 12, 13, or even 14 years old to have to deal with that? And nor should they from the standpoint, th these are wonderful development years. And so my attitude was, doggone it, everybody plays. And everybody's got a little something special in them. And, and there are a few people that had your skills as the rink rat you were or had the skating skills and, and the natural gifts of a Chorsky. But you know what? At 13 and 14, everybody's going to play. And, and that's just the approach we took. Number two, as teammates, you're teammates. And that's just the way it is. So you're going to win as a team and everybody's in, all in. And, and once you begin to understand that, those, I felt, are little cornerstones that can help you throughout your years and be respectful not only of your teammates, but look to their strengths and, and their, be it their athletic skills or their character to, again, how they can be beneficial and be a part of the team. And I think it's just very important as you go through later life. Um, one more, just this is a, a hat tip to you and, and kind of a funny backhanded compliment. I remember you were really smart and you used like big words or words that were outside of my vocabulary. And I remember coming home from hockey practice and my opening up the dictionary to look up what some of your words meant. My, mo my mom's like, what are you looking up? And I'm like, uh, Coach Wyatt said this word today and I don't know what it means. <laughs> I would look the words up, and, and you know, I was. He's like, "Oh, you're expanding your vocabulary." I'm like, "Whatever that means, Dad. I just don't know what that word meant that you said." Um, oh my goodness! It was so funny. It was just like, "Wow, oh, this guy's super smart." Um, 
I want to talk about a couple of characters uh, from the team. You mentioned Tom Chorsky. He's gotten a lot of publicity, and it, he's earned it. Um, uh, one of the names is Bob Scott. So he obviously went to Harvard, and I love the connection. Um, I asked you before the show, did you and Bob have any Harvard connections, or was it just complete chance that he ended up going to Harvard the same way you went ended up going to Harvard? Well, I, I had, as the best I can recall, it seems that I encouraged Bob and or his dad, who's just a wonderful <laughs> man, uh, just a great guy. And just, you know, Bob it, it, it had pretty pretty strong intellect, as you know, and, and as we've seen today, <clears throat> very attentive in school, scholastically, really studious in every respect, good hockey player. I wouldn't say great, but goodness, uh, to my earlier remarks, tenacious, just never quits. Yeah. And as he went through high school and as we reconnected uh, um, later years, and I was doing some, as an alum of Harvard, doing some interviewing, and as they occasionally would want a, a alum to talk to a local kid or whatever to get a different viewpoint, and oftentimes just to help the kid with some questions. And so I, I knew Bob was interested, and he called me, as I, best I can recall, to as part of the interview and I connected and was happy to do so and was very grateful that he not only got into Harvard but chose to attend and I I think to this day it's it served him very well I know he's he met his preacher wife there and they're married and have kids and wonderful children and he's had quite a career uh and uh, and again uh, great years not only with his home and his his uh kids but his siblings and and with his mom and dad too so it's really fun to see what's happened to bob and tony i would say the same for you the wonderful job you've done as an adult uh raising your kids and stuff it's very gratifying um so that, that's funny to talk about bob because bob was um also a great soccer player um but how he was a, you know you could see it he was a very driven and different kid he was different than the rest of us and the fact that he got into harvard was pretty cool and the fact that you were connected to him back in seventh grade or eighth grade was it's a pretty yeah. neat connection that's for sure um his parents uh like you mentioned tom his dad was a professor at the university and his mom was like she was either school board or city council i mean what a power I couple city, i think city council city yeah. council i mean yeah. that's that's pretty neat uh uh, uh, uh Neat family, many neat families. Um, do you remember, uh, like, there were a few dads that I have just had had a big impact on me. Bob Chorsky was one of them. Did you have much connection with Bob when, when he was involved with the team? Because I'm sure he was probably the team manager. He was. And, and he, as you may recall, he and Tom Scott had a very close relationship. Two very different people. Yeah. I would characterize them. and But Bob, for his his go-go and, and really enthusiastic had a gentle side, and I, I think saw the skills that his son had, but never put his son out there as the cause to celebrity. My French isn't very good. As the most important, was very good about making sure his under his son understood, even with his skills, he was part of a team, and so Bob treated everybody the same. And I, he was just an example of the uh, parenting that we had was involved with those kids and how lucky you guys were to have parents like that. So yeah, just a wonderful guy. Uh, there's a, another dad that uh, just passed away and I did a long heartfelt tweet about Daryl Gruy. Do you remember Daryl very well at all? Not well. I do remember him and just, but again, not well. 
Yeah. Alex Sidero was just a, a special guy. He, he, in squirts and peewees, I think he tied our skates every game. You know, it was the oh Daryl Gurry, Gurry touch. He was just one of those guys that I was hoping you might remember him. He was just a special. There was just a, so many great memories from that crew of kids. And and uh, I just I just want to make sure we touched on that a little bit. Uh, I don't want to forget the rest of your family. We talked about your siblings, but you also have raised four children, and they're all big-time adult children now. A 35-year-old Susan, 33-year-old Mary, 30-year-old Michael who lives in Taipei. Uh, and then Jesse's 27. Uh, talk a little bit about raising four kids, what that was like. Was it anything like running a hockey team or harder? Oh, it was harder. <laughs> it, it, there's a sense in a hockey team at, at any given point that, yes, you do have charge, you have control. In a household, no. You realize early on. Now, fortunately and, and uh, gratefully, married to Jane, uh, my soulmate in every respect. I wouldn't say that to her because she'd roll her eyes. But How'd you guys meet? Well, we met on a blind date, believe it or not. It was fixed up by her aunt, who was a good friend of my mom's. Okay. So and she Jane, local? Is she a Westie? Well, she... She, she born and raised, uh, went to visit, come to the visitation school. Okay. Uh, east Sider, is she East Side then? No, she was Minneapolis. Okay, all right. And then went to Smith College. Okay. Very smart, econ, English major. Oh, is that um, a sister for, school to one of the one of the Ivies? Um, uh, kind, kind of, but not really. All right. And and my hesitation is more. I'm, I'm worried Jane might hear me because <laughs> she would say we aren't a sister school to, to anyone. anyone. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. That Walk was a term that, that that's a term they used to use in the 80s and 90s, oh, right? Well, and I assure you, anytime Harvard comes up, she rolls her eyes. And, right. And oh yeah. Reminds me how lucky I was to get in. And yes. Occasionally, Harvey made mistakes on admissions, and clearly I was an example of that. But Jane was it, and was would the same be said for your daughter Jessie, or she earned it because she went to Harvard too. She did, and boy, she was she was was, and I think is, and I'm grateful to say I believe in all our kids are really remarkable. One, fortunate, just great health. Two, they had a chance for you know Tony a safe home. Right. Oh yeah. And a good education were supportive parents that we could, we had the wherewithal, we could send them to visitation to our son, to St. Thomas and, and, and a good college uh, without coming out with a lot of debt. And so no, pretty darn lucky. And, and I'm uh, most importantly, they never lose sight of that. Um, just how lucky they are. So, and not because of us, but they, 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 and again, I much goes to Jane as I ramble on here. You've got to give back. And to each of them, they are. And to our daughter, Susan, who works with a, a, a company in San Francisco that provides mental health care services. And she's just done a wonderful job. Uh, went to St. Lawrence and then on to the U and got her master's in public health. Our daughter, Mary, who had her first child but it's Santa Clara and she's given back through a couple of associations in San Francisco that she's been involved with. And so grateful for that. Uh, Mike who teaches elementary school in Taipei, hard to believe our son who couldn't find his shoes any morning <laughs> is, is fluent in Mandarin and in Taipei and just, just a wonderful young guy. Uh, and our daughter, Jesse, who, I'd say she got into Harvard because of tenacity and because they said, yes, you can go, but we think you need a, because your birthday and your age, you need a year um, before you start. 
and she did so and went to Spain and she's fluent in Spanish, probably lost now, but then ended up doing very well at Harvard and uh, uh, going to uh, on a really on a, a service project initially on a foundation going and working in a bakery in, in Amman, Jordan, and then transitioning and taking a position <clears throat> to run a, a youth program for young women refugees wow. in Amman for three years and uh, called uh, uh, a sports program. But she just did a great job and, and now back and getting her master's at King College in London. So, wow, that's pretty cool. They live all over the world. They They do. Now, Jess happens to be with us, but she's working online at London because the schools are not closed, but closed for presence physical. Right. But she's getting it done. And, and for all our kids, number one is they're, they're healthy adults and seem to be in gratefully, mentally and physically. And number two, they're giving back. They've become good citizens and seem to be on that path. And job one is parents. If you can do that, you got to start. How many of these kids uh, are more like you or more like Jane? If you had, if I, if I go Susan, what is she more like you or more like mom? You know, I would say she's a little bit of a combination. Okay. She's as she's matured, she's gotten rid of some of my sauce, uh, stuff, which is the quick temper, and become more like her mom, which is very uh, silent, empirical data, work through stuff, very tenacious intellectually, and Jane is really a bulldog in that regard. All right, Mary. Uh, Mary, the same thing. Uh, She's matured and I I think has perhaps in some ways a little little better feel for people and to watch their emotions evolve. Is that more you or Jane? uh, Probably the kids would say maybe that's more me. All right. Um, But Jane is quite astute in that regard and was in a very successful career, but is really more data-driven and looks at stuff as I say to Jane, when we're in a fight, I said, you know, a box of 64 crayons and you open the top and there's black and there's white. Do, don't, aren't there any colors? How about a little gray? Can there be anything to shade it here? <laughs> but again, just how she's wired and what made her so good in the markets. Um, for Michael, wait. I would say more like her mom. He's very but wait, thoughtful. Now, Michael looks exactly like you but the time i met him he's got long curly hair at the time does he still have the yeah. big goalie he, full he, locks he doesn't and, okay and probably just because that's not that's not the decorum in in taipei uh it, uh so it's shorter hair and but he's got a wonderful sense of humor i must say it's a little off kilter at times but he sure keeps his sisters laughing but i would say very studious and and very intellectual uh we we're hoping he comes home soon. We he wants to go to graduate school and education, but his due to COVID has said no. It's safest and most productive for me to remain here in Taipei. Okay. Um, we haven't seen him. Goodness, it's been over a year now, which is hard. But we Skype, FaceTime, what have you, which is great. We saw him in Beijing a year plus ago, and I marveled at his Mandarin, how good he is. And anyways, he's quite a young guy. Oh, okay. And uh, then Jesse's like mom or like dad? Uh, I would say probably more like her mother, uh, okay. unless her temper flares. And she's learning <laughs> to control that. She's she's pretty strong intellectually and academically. She did very well. and But she is like her mother, boy. When she latches on to something, look out. And uh, But it's, it's proved her well. So fortunately, the kids, as I see it, they develop. They take more after their mother to their to their benefit. 
All right. Um, last uh, two more questions. Uh, the, the award being named. I love this story. For maybe, maybe it's just about more kind of about YHH. But um, I always ask you: Do do people recognize your name now that this award is named after you? And you say, "Yeah, it happens every once in a while." People will ask you if you're the Wiz Wyatt for the Wiz Wyatt Award. Walk through that whole thing the last ten years. Your kind of memories of doing this. Well, it's really it was heartwarming that you did this, uh, to say the least, because kind of a, a haphazard guy in terms of my success in hockey, what have you. But uh, it really is it mean it meant and means a great deal to me, particularly, Tony, the approach you took from the very beginning that, yes, this is about hockey. And, and as you know, with your many experiences over the years, it's it's not to be trite or nor to belittle in any way, but it can easily become that hockey becomes who and what you are in every respect. Well, as much as I loved hockey and love hockey, there's more to it than just the game and the sport itself. And even that's, I go back to quickly to Bill Cleary, his expectation was if you're on that ice uh, for practice from three to five every day, the understanding was you you're doing fine in the classroom because if there's trouble in the classroom, I don't want you on this ice. And as a Harvard grad himself, he both understood it and his expectations were that you did well in school. And there was just no choice because Harvard didn't care. But likewise, I would say, as you've approached this, these are kids that are pretty darn well-rounded. And they've been nurtured and coached and had the benefit, I would say, from who I met, wonderful families. But the understanding that they did well on the ice, they did well with their teammates in the locker room. And they did well in the classroom and the community. So this this was, it's not just all in company, compensing, but again, it's back to who you are. And if there's something I'd hope that people could look at me and say, he has lived to date a pretty well-rounded life, intentionally so. And, and that's what I would expect of these kids and would hope for their case, because it proves to be a lot happier, a lot more engaging and beneficial adulthood when you can both give back to your family, to yourself, but very much to your community as well. All right, last question. We have a segment that I call "If You Could," right? So, I if you could change something, so or if you could do something over again or whatever. So, this is like if you could, if you could go back and change one thing athletically, could you you could have done more of something, less of something, change one outcome, scored one more goal, done something. What is the game? What is the thing where you kind of go back and go, "Ah, oh, I wish I could have done that again." You know, that's a hard one to ask me because. The, I'd like to think of myself here at this age with reasonable sense of not just accomplishment, but some confidence. And But boy, I chew on stuff, Tony. I, I can take it right back to... I love it. You know, you're, you're human, right? Goal. I had a quick exchange with a high school classmate of mine who was also a classmate at Harvard, uh, Tom Wright, wonderful guy, an exceptional playwright and, and wrote movies. And anyways, great guy. And we we're commiserating, I was, about losing two games our senior year, as I mentioned earlier, Edison and, and Washburn. Yeah. And and I attribute those losses to me, mistakes that I made and plays that I didn't make. <clears throat> Likewise, a couple hockey games where I look back on it, uh, and I back to that, that loss to Minnesota uh, to get into the Final Four and some things that maybe I could have done differently. Uh, and so those are the hard ones. And I think if, if anything, 
it's perhaps an encouragement. And I don't like to say reminder because that suggests that you dwell on stuff and notwithstanding my, my comments I just made. Right. But an encouragement to kids, boys and girls, men, young men and women, for goodness gracious, in anything you do, give it your best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time today, Wiz, and all the things that you've done for me, uh, getting me to where I am today, and uh, the encouragement you've given me even now that we've got reconnected. Uh, I appreciate you being a member and a member of my life and, and a big part of our YHH community and, and all you've done for, for us and, and, and kids out there striving to be live up to the, the Wiz Wyatt name. Oh, Tony, thank you and all you've done for me and my family. <laughs> Excuse me, a little emotional. That's okay. That's all right. That's what it's about. That's what this is about. We're we're trying to keep it real. Um, but it's wonderful. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Wiz. Uh, and, yeah. and, and if I don't see you, uh, have a Merry Christmas and, and a Happy New Year. Oh, my goodness. To all and, and listening, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and best to your families and stay safe. And, Tony, very much to you and your wonderful family. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Wiz Wyatt, our, our guest here on the Minnesotan today. What a wonderful friend and, and great uh, compadre. Um, I appreciate that, everything he, he shared with us today about his travels through Kenwood to Harvard and the rest of his life. Uh, what can you say? What a great what a great man. Uh, what can you say about the Minnesotan? A great store as well. Just a, It's the Wiz Wyatt store, really. First class all the way around. He's vintage. Uh, if you want it and it's, and, and it's Minnesotan, you can get it there, uh, whether it's hat sportswear, uh, shorts, uh, trousers, whatever you want to get. It's super good stuff at the Minnesotan up in White Bear Lake or online at theminnesotan.com. Use YHH and get a 15% discount. Hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll see you guys around the rink soon.